Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, here's a recent headline from Bloomberg News. California may go dark this summer, and most people aren't ready. And here's a quote from California's governor, Gavin Newsom. I'm worried. We're all worried about it for the elderly. We're worried about it because we could see people's power shut off, not just for a day or two, but potentially a week. So these public safety power shutoffs are coming down the pike. And this is basically where the utilities are turning off the power if there's a wildfire possibility. Hey, I talked to a friend who's a firefighter this weekend. He's a firefighter in Silicon Valley. And he emphasized how much attention the firefighters are paying to these shutoffs. He also mentioned, this is kind of scary, his brother barely escaped alive with his family from the Paradise Fire. They lost their entire home to the wildfire last year. So, you know, the, the thing starts hitting literally closer to home. But the utilities are taking action. Unfortunately, the action is going to mean no power. So then that's what we're going to be talking about on today's show. So I'm drilling down into it. The California Public Utilities Commission created a map of the areas in California where they have elevated and extreme fire zones. And I look at this map. Yes, it's the, you know, up in Napa and the Paradise area, Northern California, but a lot of areas in Santa Clara County and San Mateo County are in these extreme fire zones. They're red on the map. So basically, all of the hilly and forested areas along the western parts of Silicon Valley are exposed. Woodside, Portola Valley, Los Altos Hills, Cupertino, Saratoga, Los Gatos, Amadon Valley, Morgan Hill, Gilroy. If you're closer to the bay on the flat areas, it's not as dangerous because you don't have trees that are so close to each other where the wildfire can jump. But in these hills where trees and brush are just continuous, it's a bad situation. Once that fire starts in a dry area, it doesn't go out. Unfortunately, I can just kind of look back over the past 50 years. The situation is not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. The weather's getting hotter. That's undeniable. There's more housing in forested areas. You know, people are building up in the hills. It's a nice view. It's nice living in the woods, but you've got more fire danger. And, you know, when you talk about these public safety power shutoffs, we need more electricity more than ever. I mean, electricity has become the most important fuel for our our society. Over the last 20 years, I just kind of look at this. You can't put a a wood-burning fireplace in your house anymore. The new domestic hot water tanks, even if it's a natural gas power tank, it has an electronic pilot light. So it doesn't start unless there's power. Your gas stove, which is still the most common type of stove, has an electric pilot light. If the power's out, you turn the gas on, you're not going to get any fire. You can light it with a match at least, but still, you need an electronic pilot light. No more wireline phones, which used to work in a blackout. We all have cell phones. So if their cell phone battery's dead, or if the cell phone antennas on the power lines are, are not getting power, there's no communication, no internet. Kerosene lanterns, I remember when we were a kid, you know, people had kerosene lanterns and, and lots of candles. I mean, I don't know, that old, but heck, but those are gone. Plus, a lot of people have electric vehicles, and they're dependent on being able to charge up those cars to get out of their driveway and get to work. We're dependent on electricity for our refrigeration. We don't keep a lot of canned food anymore. I think back, you know, we used to get all this stuff in cans. We canned peas, canned corn. And now we like fresh food. It's healthier. But if you don't have any power for a week, you're not going to have any food. So when the lights go out, our 21st century lifestyle reverts to the 19th century. We have no phone. We have no lights. We have no motor cars. Not a single luxury. It's like Robinson Crusoe, as primitive as can be. I'm quoting directly from one of my favorite kid TV shows, Gilgan's Island. All right. So to dig into this, California's investor-owned utilities, that's PG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric and Southern California Edison have all teamed up and they've created a website called www.prepareforpowerdown.com. 
And this is where they're making suggestions on what to do when these public safety power shutoffs happen. When, not if. So here are their criteria. This is how the utilities are going to decide if they're going to shut down the power for a few hours or a few days as a result of weather and environmental factors. And here's the factors. High winds, low humidity, dry vegetation, fire threat to power lines, and real-time observations and red flag warnings. Think back. I mean, pretty much any October, September, even August and, and July, you're going to get those conditions. So the utilities are going to then send out a warning if conditions for a shutdown are likely. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to send out this warning. It'll probably be on the news. I mean, you know, hopefully it'll be on the internet. And, and that'll kind of let people know there's a shutdown planned if dangerous conditions really manifest themselves. And the power is going to be off for several hours or several days until the lines are inspected and the hazards are resolved and these conditions go away. So I, there's a pretty much um, a certainty that there's going to be several of these public safety power shutoff events this summer and fall in heavily forested areas. And, you know, the utilities can't possibly risk another disastrous wildfire that they had in paradise last year. They actually actually had one of these warnings that were planning on shutting off the power in the Paradise area, in the campfire area, and they decided not to. And they should have because the wires hit some trees, that the power lines fell over, and it created this, this fire that killed like almost 90 people. So here's what the utilities recommend that you do if there's one of these public safety power shutoffs scheduled, if they announce this. So these are all things that we need to prepare for now. Don't wait until you get that, you know, amber alert or you hear it on the radio that it's going to happen. You got to do these things now because it's some of them, these prepared preparedness things take time. Have a personal safety plan in place for every member of your household. Now, this is always a good idea. So you want to have everybody's cell phone. You want to have a public place to meet. You want to kind of know what people's schedules are, if possible, and make sure that everybody's got this written down somewhere or, you know, maybe heck, put it in their cell phone as long as their battery's good that they can actually access it. That's where we put all of our data. All right. Plan for any medical needs. So, so if the power's going to be out for a week, is there any medication that you're going to need for a week? Do you need anything that needs to be refrigerated or do you have any devices that are re- going to require? power. I mean, some people, you know, might have the dialysis machines that they're going to have to keep running. I mean, what do you do if the power goes out? That's a a pretty bad situation. So you're going to have to plan for that and make sure you have the power for your refrigeration or your medical devices. Build and restock your emergency supply kit. Eh, you got to restock the food. That's going to kind of get a little bit grody after a while unless you get stuff that's really, really shelf-stable. Make sure you've got some water. Make sure your flashlights have new batteries. I, I suggest don't put the batteries inside the flashlights because I kind of regularly destroy my flashlights when the batteries rot and then the flashlights break. So a couple of extra packages of, of alkaline batteries in your emergency kit, not in the flashlight. Get a radio, a battery-powered radio, obviously. They, they make these really cool crank radios that are going to get basic reception for as long as, you know, you turn the crank every 15 minutes. First aid supplies, the utilities recommending you have some cash. I guess you need cash because if there's a power outage, there's not going to be any credit card machines even if you go to the local store. So cash is good. Now, I note that their emergency kit, this is kind of interesting, it's on the website, it includes matches. So that's just ironic that it's for a wildfire risk that you have some matches, but who knows. Now, identify a backup charging method for your main method of communications, which is your phone. How are you going to charge your phone 
if there's no utility power. Your car has a battery. You can plug it into your cigarette lighter. An emergency radio with a crank. Maybe have some, some extra charging batteries, the little solar cells that charge up a phone. Anything with a battery and USB port will probably be able to charge up your phone. Learn how to manually open your garage door. I taught this to my family. There's a red handle that you got to pull down. And that disengages the opener. And then you can kind of lift up the door. It might take two people to lift up the door because sometimes they're heavy, but that way you can operate the door. And if you own a generator, a backup generator, ensure it's ready and safe to operate. You should pull the cord on that generator or push the button every year or two to make sure that it's working. Make sure you don't have any gas that remains in the carburetor because it kind of gums up. I always turn the carburetor pet cot off. So I drain the gas out of the carburetor before I turn off the generator. That way there's no wet gas in the carburetor that has a tendency to to jelly and gum. Have a few jugs and cans of extra gas and, and have a siphon that's helpful if you need to get gas out of your car. Now, we want to look at these utility recommendations. There are some things that aren't included. Like, what did they miss? Oh, gee, what they missed is a battery backup system with solar. They've got all these great recommendations, but they don't mention that you should put in a battery and solar. Duh. The reason that utilities don't recommend this is that they don't want you to install that equipment because they get a guaranteed 10% or more rate of return on their assets. And the utilities' assets are their own substation battery storage systems and their own utility-scale solar panels. If you put it in, They don't get a rate of return on it, and they lose the revenue when you install these assets. And the killer is these battery storage systems are safer than having a gas generator, and their economics are superior. Because if you have solar, you're going to get electricity at 6 to $0.08 per kilowatt hour instead of almost $0.50 for your local utility. You get the 30% tax credit on the battery backup system with solar. And and that also applies to any upgrades you need to make on your electric service. And there's even, if you're upgrading your roof, you can get an upgrade on part of the roof. Plus, you get reliable backup power. So it's just way more cost-effective than putting in a backup generator and way safer. Okay, what are your options for backup power when you get hit with one of these public safety power shutdowns? Or when you get hit with, you know, a transformer blows out in your neighborhood or a storm or whatever. So basically, you have three options to address the situation for power. One, you can get a portable gasoline generator. Two, you can get a permanently installed natural gas generator. Or three, you can put in a battery storage system coupled with solar. Okay, so let's kind of step through these options. You know, they all appeal to different kinds of people. Portable gas generators. I mean, heck, you can go to the, the big box hardware stores or any kind of hardware store, and for anywhere from like $300 to maybe over 1000 you can get one of these generators. It comes in a big box loaded in the back of your station wagon or your SUV. Pretty minimal assembly. You just have to add oil because they don't come with oil. Yeah, make sure you have some gasoline. And then you're going to need a bunch of long extension cords to plug things in. And then you're kind of good to go. Obviously, you know, test it, make sure it's working. I suggest a smaller generator, you know, they may be a 3,000 watt generator or 2,000 watt generator. That's going to be good enough to power a few outlets for individual appliances in your home. Maybe these things have two outlets. So you can plug a fridge into one. You can plug, you know, an extension cord with lights and a power strip and cell phones and TV into another. But that'll be good enough for two or 3,000 watts, maybe a little bit more. You don't want to really push it. The bigger generators have 
not only 120 volt capacity, but 240 volt capacity. They have one of these three or four prong, I think it's a four prong plug on the front that's going to be able to connect to your house's electrical system, or you can power some bigger things. So it's tricky to attach these portable generators to your house. You're going to need to make sure that you have an electrician do this work because it has to be done in the right way. Here's the reason. The utilities are rightfully concerned about these generators. If you have a generator that's feeding your entire house and there's a power outage, the excess power that you produce is going to go backwards through the grid. And that's bad because there might be a utility worker that's working on the wires there, touching these bare wires, and suddenly somebody fires up one of these generators and you can zap the utility worker. It's really dangerous. So they're very careful about making sure that people don't incorrectly install generators. If you have an electrician put in the connection, they put in something called a manual transfer switch. So you switch it from utility power. There's a switch that goes on your electrical service box. Switch it from utility power to the generator power, and then you're fine. Now, these bigger generators are still limited for, you know, 5,000, 6,000 watts. I have a, for 20 years, I've had this old Generac generator. I've been dragging it around. It's kind of a beast. It weighs like about 100 pounds. It's like, I don't know, a 10 horsepower motor. It's got a big tank on it. But heck, it's been working for me for over 20 years. Now, I've really used it heavily only about five times. Most recently, in 2017. But usually, you know, power goes out for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's like it's a pain in the neck to drag out the generator in the garage and and turn off the power from the the transfer switch, plug the generator in, pull the cord, get it going. You're not going to do that for like a 10 or 15 minute outage. But if the power is going to be out for 12 hours or so, I don't want the stuff in the fridge to melt. I might want hot water. I might want the heat to work. So that's when I run it. And the process that I go through, and I've done it a bunch of times, is I turn off all the circuits in my service panel so there's no power to anything. I use the transfer switch, fill the generator with gas, you know, if I need it. I adjust the, the generator choke. I pull the cord a few times, sometimes five or six times. The shoulder bothers me a little bit. What the heck? And then the generator starts up, makes a lot of noise, plugs the generator in, and then I turn on the circuits that I need. And pretty much the way the generator, these bigger generators work once you're up around five or 6,000 watts is it can power pretty much the whole house, except... If you want to run your central air conditioning, if you want to run your oven, which uses a lot of power, it can power one or two burners on your stove. It can power a microwave oven. It's not going to power everything in your house. And when the power comes back on, you really can't tell unless you look at your neighbors. Suddenly they have lights. So when they have lights, power's back on. Turn off the generator, pull out the cord, turn all the circuits, move the transfer switch back, and then turn all your circuits on and you're back on utility power. It's kind of a pain in the neck, but boy... When the power's out, our power was out for four days in 2017. The tree came down in a big storm. And, you know, it was, it was in the winter. It was February. It was cold. It was raining. And it was really good to have that generator. The problem is that these generators are kind of too much for a lot of people to start. I mean, my wife is like, you want me to go outside in the rain and pull the cord on that thing and switch all these things on the service panel? I don't want to do that. It's inconvenient. It's noisy. It's not automatic. So these portable generators that you can buy at, at the big box retailers, really handy, but are not, not a good solution for elderly customers and not a good solution if you want to power your whole house. So the next best option is a natural gas power generator. My mother was looking into one of these for her house in New Jersey, and I have a portable generator at her house. That was fine for the heat and the, the refrigerators and the hot water, but she wants something that's completely automatic. And when I priced it out, it was like $15,000. You know, here in California, it's, it's a lot more. I'd say the range is between twelve and $30,000. That includes 
the natural gas piping that has to go into this generator. The generator is mounted on a pad. It includes the electrical work to put in a transfer switch. It includes the installation. So it's going to be a lot more expensive. It's installed on a concrete pad outside your house. There's usually a cover on it. Some of the bigger ones have automatic transfer switches so that you can just kind of push a button and the thing starts up. So when the power goes out with these bigger natural gas generators, they automatically transfer generator mode. So maybe the power's out for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, the generator starts up. Once it gets up to speed, boom, you run off a generator power. It's great. And it's usually enough to power the whole house, including your air conditioning. So really, really nice, really convenient. You know, people with really high-end houses may want to get one of these generators. They can pretty much be off-grid. Now, it's more expensive to run a generator on natural gas. It pollutes a lot. If there's a really bad disaster, a large-scale outage, if there's a big local fire, you're not even going to have natural gas. Certainly, if there's an earthquake, you're not going to have natural gas. So you won't have any power at all because they're all dependent on the gas that comes from the utility. But these bigger generators are kind of automatic and painless, and it's a good option. Now, the third option, and, and this is the best option you know, environmentally and economically and from a safety standpoint, is a battery backup system with solar. So basically, you've got a standard solar panel system on the roof. So people who have solar already, they can add one of these. And you install a battery on the outside of the house, maybe inside the house, and that's usually installed near the inverter for the, the solar inverter or the inverter for the battery. And basically, it works just like a smaller, medium-sized generator. You can power the important appliances in your house, your fridge, your freezer, your lighting, your gas hot water heater, your furnace, your garage door, the necessities like your entertainment system and your cell phone, and it'll all work. The way these systems work is there's a separate panel, electrical panel, called a backup subpanel or a critical load subpanel. It's got six circuits in it. And you just say, these are the six things that I want to be running if there's a blackout and it's going to be powered by the battery. Now, there's usually enough backup power in the battery, energy in the battery, to run these appliances for a day. And then they, the batteries automatically recharge by solar as soon as the sun comes up the next day. And that's what's so elegant about these systems is you've got solar power to always recharge the battery. So even if there's a really bad disaster, there's no natural gas. If, if you can't go to the gas station because they don't have any gas or they don't have any energy in their pumps to pump gas, you've got power and it works. Now, they also work totally automatically. So the battery backup inverter has a transfer switch, an automatic transfer switch. So when the power goes out, within 10 or 20 seconds, it automatically provides power to these critical loads. So, yeah, you'll see the power, the lights go out for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then in in 20 or 30 seconds, lights are going to come back on, your fridge is going to come back on, your TV is going to come back on, your heat in your house is going to come back on. It's really elegant. And when the power comes back, seamless conversion back to utility power. So it's a good option. So the battery backup system, they also provide economic benefits. They're, they're almost always coupled with solar, so you can time shift your electricity use. So you can save the solar power that you generate during the day when the rates aren't as high and use that solar power at night when you're getting hit with peak electricity. I mean, it's over 40 cents a kilowatt hour for peak electricity. So they're going to save a little bit of money, not not as much clearly as solar, but you're going to save a little bit more. You're also going to get a rebate from California. The current rebate is $2,500. So the net cost is ten dollars to $15,000 for one of these battery backup systems added to a solar system, less the $2,500 California rebate, less 30% tax credit that you get from the feds. So you're looking at a net cost for a battery backup system, 
automatic solar-connected battery backup system of somewhere between six dollars and $10,000. So here's my advice. If you have solar, consider adding a battery storage system. Be careful because not all of the battery storage systems will work seamlessly with solar. So you got to talk to your, your contractor and, and make sure that they know exactly what they're doing. Feel free to give us a call. Now, if you're considering solar, now that we have these public safety power shutoffs that are going to be happening, it's even more useful to have backup power. Now, if you're on a budget, you know, you don't have the six to $10,000 or so for, this, for the battery storage system. If you're on a budget, you can get by with a small portable generator. Go to your local hardware store, pick one up, test it out. Make sure it's working before you have a blackout. Make sure you got the extension cords handy and nearby and some gas, and that'll be fine. And if you really you know, must run your central air conditioner during a blackout, you want something that's totally automatic that's going to run your whole house. You don't want to be like Gilligan's Island. You want to be, you know, like you, you want to keep your lifestyle 100% going. Really, your only option right now is still a large natural gas generator. I don't see these battery storage systems really being a substitute for a big natural gas generator for, you know, a, a, a long time. But in the meantime, these inverter-based battery storage systems, they work great. I'm putting one in on my house. The customers that we have have them. They're very, very happy, and, and they just basically work. All right. That's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 